As hundreds of Washington reporters gather for this weekend's White House Correspondents' Dinner, there's one burning issue that remains a lively topic of discussion and debate. Will Donald Trump finally be indicted for his efforts to overturn the 2020 election? To address that question, we assembled an all-star panel to dissect the complicated legal and political issues facing federal and state prosecutors and ultimately Attorney General Merrick Garland's Justice Department. Bob Woodward and Carol Lennig of The Washington Post have both written books about Trump's efforts to cling to office. And New York litigator and longtime Republican George Conway has been one of Trump's most persistent legal critics. They spoke to us at a special taping of the pod before a live audience at Washington's Politics and Prose bookstore. Take a listen to what turned out to be quite the lively conversation on this episode of Skullduggery. Hi. Do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. I will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help me God. 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 Thank you, Brad, and thank you all for coming out What uh, for what is truly a special event for us and we hope for, uh, for everybody. Um, we've got a great panel, uh, three of our all-time favorite skullduggery guests, um, Bob Woodward, who needs no introduction, uh, most recently uh, co-author of Peril, uh, the latest in his what... Of, 450 books, uh, Bob, uh, is that the right number? Uh, anyway, um, George Conway, um, uh, famed New York litigator and tweeter about many things, including the lives of his dogs, um, which I think probably gets the most traction. Cor corgis. Uh, corgis, of course. And uh, Carol Lennig, uh, invest prize-winning investigative reporter for the Washington Post and most recently uh, co-author of I Alone Can Fix It. Um, so the topic today is uh, the Trump investigations, where are they headed? And just to sort of sort of lay the groundwork a little bit, from the time he took office, uh, Donald Trump has been under investigation for multiple things, uh, starting with the Russia probe and Mueller and his business practices, emoluments, you name it. Uh, and yet today, here he is, um, uh, sitting pretty and uh, Mar-a-Lago playing golf, uh, enjoying life uh, as he does. So I wanted to start out with a multiple choice test for our panelists. Um, Donald Trump has not been charged with a crime because A, he's a modern day mob boss who's effectively uh, immunized himself from any criminal conduct with surrounding himself with fierce loyalists, uh, leaving no paper trail, uh, aggressive litigation to attack anybody who comes after him. B, he's an innocent man who's been hounded by uh, partisan witch hunts driven by, um, ginned up by uh, radical Democrats and they're never, and they're never Antifa and and they're never Trumper Republican allies. I'm looking at you, George Conway. Uh, and see, um, a year from now, Donald Trump will be under indictment and facing trial in um, one or more jurisdictions. Uh, Bob, you go first. I really hate multiple choice questions. <laughs> 
uh, so I'm not going to answer it. That, uh, and, and when we get to it, I think uh, we all need to think about, are we investigating the right issues about Trump? And uh, there are many avenues, obviously, but I think the main avenue should be connected to what is important. And uh, there are things uh, Costa and I found out about uh, in our book about national security issues, the issue of possible use of nuclear weapons and the worry about that by Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Milley, and uh, the some of the things that we're looking at, I mean, you have to look at everything, seem not quite as significant as that possibility. And uh, going back to when I first joined the Navy at age 22, uh, I was on a ship where we, I had with another officer custodial control of the top secret authentication procedures and cards for launching a nuclear war. That was some time ago. And I thought about it, reported on it, and particularly as we wrestle with what's going on in Ukraine, the issue of nuclear weapons should be one of the top issues to look at. Well, especially today, given that Putin has sort of put it on the table, uh, or Russian officials have put it on the table. George, A, B, or C? Okay, uh, with varying degrees of confidence, I agree with A, C, and Bob. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, so that leaves out B. Yeah, B, I don't think B is zero. Don't accept that. B is zero percent, A right. is 100 percent, B is zero yep. percent, C is probably. But isn't that, isn't that a contradiction? No, I, I think. I, well, I look, the way A I says he's afraid. beyond the reach, and well, he C has says he's going to be indicted. Well, A is, I, I agree to A to the. To, to the extent that that has been what has happened. I'm not completely convinced that's what will always happen, although, you know, I wouldn't fall over shocked and with a heart attack if, if he's never indicted. C is, I think there's a chance, um, a significant chance that his legal troubles will get significantly worse in that manner. And then I agree that with that basically everything Bob said. <laughs> well, we'll get into the particulars. As we go on. Carol? Let's see, the question oh, is, when are you coming out with your marriage manual? <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're going there, Bob? <laughs> That's another moment. You're going there? Right. No, seriously. That's a different I mean, subject. for free, I'll Bob. give you a title. <laughs> Making it work in difficult circumstances. <laughs> All right. We'll get uh, there. <laughs> Carol. I reject A, B, and C. Um, I think it is possible. Uh, I, I guess I agree with part of C. It's possible that he will face indictment, especially for his um, tax, what, what appears to be very extreme evidence of tax evasion. Um, it's hard to say that anybody could hit the lottery the way that Donald Trump did in having absolutely no um, a zero balance on his income liability for seven years in a row. It's kind of hard to get that number exactly right. Wildly, he did. Um, I think that it, I'm going to add D, and D is that I think he is a person who has avoided um, consequences, as Phil Rucker and I have said many times in two books, because he was a sitting president, 
And then because he is such a controversial figure, you can already see the Attorney General, um, today's Attorney General, being slightly nervous about how politically divisive Trump can be and how he could essentially become a martyr if prosecuted the way I would be prosecuted for what Donald Trump has done thus far. So, Carol, I'm interested that you pointed to um, tax evasion and the, the financial fraud uh, case in New York. Um, and to Bob's point um, that you really have to focus on the cases that matter, maybe that's the case that matters uh, most in some ways. But that's also uh, the case uh, that seems to be going nowhere. Um, and, you know, uh, the grand jury expires this week. Yeah, tomorrow. You know, the, the two lead prosecutors uh, quit basically in protest because the uh, district attorney uh, had more or less concluded that there was no, uh, he was not going to bring charges. Um, he says the investigation is continuing, but it seems to be on life support. Um, and so, you know, it raises the question, um, and, you know, for all of you, uh, is uh, Donald Trump a legal Houdini? Or in that particular case, was, was that just a poor case? Uh, but, but George, you, you practice in New York, uh, and you've done a lot of white-collar uh, financial litigation. So, and I, I believe back in February, uh, you actually wrote a column, I have the headline here, um, about that case, and the headline was, uh, is this the beginning of the end for Trump? Question mark. Yes. So, so what do you think? Not period. Um, <laughs> no, I am. Um, I agree uh, with what Carol is saying, except for with respect to the New York case. And the New York case, I would have agreed with her six months ago, but as you point out, there, you know, it's run in at least the, the attorney, the district attorney piece of it has run into some some rough water. And I think what's going on there, speculating, this is speculation, um, is that. The two guys who quit, Pom Pomerantz and, and um, uh, Kerry Dunn, they wanted, they wanted to go ahead with what they had. And I think Alvin Bragg came in and said, okay, well, who are your witnesses? I mean, you've got these documents, you've got these experts, um, and you've got Michael Cohen. I mean, come on, guys, Michael Cohen. And what, they, what he said... Con convicted... Why? Yeah, exactly. And right. who's, who says a little too much for, to be a witness because he's got his podcast and he's got to sort of keep, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, he's not the witness you want to build a case over. And, and I think that, you know, there was always this speculation or informed speculation, I think, that they were going to have to flip Weisselberg and they never did. And so, if, you know, to play devil's advocate or I don't know, to, to, to defend Bragg, which I'm not initially inclined to do. It's like, okay, but you needed Weisselberg. You never flipped him. Which goes back to answer A <laughs> in the multiple choice being yeah. true. But I also um, I also think though that there, you know, there there are other cases out there. These are these are all time bombs for me. And the Georgia case is the one. Yeah, yeah we're gonna oh, I think the Georgia Okay, all right, I'm gonna throw in now because <laughs> I you know, the tax evasion issue is not just Bragg's office. It's also in the New York Attorney General's office. Not a criminal case, but you may have seen Letitia James has repeatedly said, I've referred these, I've referred these, I've referred these to the IRS. 
So we don't know what the DOJ and IRS investigators are doing. It's hard to imagine that they could they could ignore one hundred percent ignore the evidence that's been presented thus far. But, but on on that point, I Carol. I lost my earring back in. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! Oh, All right. Um, so, Carol, on that point, I mean, the IRS has had Donald Trump's taxes all along, and they were supposedly auditing him. That was the, his excuse for not releasing them. Um, if the case was as clear as you suggest, how do you explain the fact that the IRS has done nothing to date? Well, we don't know that even for the years that he was not president. Of the we United don't States? know that they've done nothing to date. We know that they knew they couldn't charge a sitting president. Well, but what about the years before he was president? They were probably sitting on ice waiting. That would be my speculation. I'm <laughs> Can I just persist on this point? Yeah. I think one of the crippling legacies of Watergate is that we look for the crime, the indictment. This has happened time and time again, and you run by issues of consequence. And uh, there is so much evidence about what Trump and people associated with him were doing. It is a crime to subvert the legitimate function of government. A really clear, unambiguous function of government is, it's in the Electoral Count Act and the Constitution, certifying who's president on, actually, uh, it is na at 1 o'clock on January, Sixth after a presidential election. So and, and go. Well, I, I, what I wanted to okay. I know exactly where you're going, and and uh, I you, want. No, you don't. I, well, <laughs> well, I want you to talk about. Some of us have been listening to you for. Quite we've had a while, you on the while. podcast. <laughs> we've had you on the podcast. No, but I want you to. What I want you to talk about is, uh, I think some of the most important reporting of the Trump era that you and Costa dug up uh, for peril, which is. The Eastman Memo, uh, which you can explain to everybody what that is for those who don't already know, but it seems to me that the um, if there is a real criminal case to be made against uh, Donald Trump um, in, in for his uh, conduct in uh, uh, around the January 6th yeah. attack on Congress, uh, it is the pressure campaign that was put on uh, Vice President Pence to coerce him uh, to um, uh, to violate the Constitution, to exceed his own authority, to overturn the election. And that flows directly from the Eastman Memo. So I want you to talk about the Eastman Memo, and then I want you to to, to give us the factual predit, predicate for that 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 pressure campaign against uh, Pence. Okay, well, well, first of all, the Eastman Memo, which uh, we got in our book, I mean, Carol and Phil in their book talked about Eastman and you so got the forth. Actual and and the, the the document is a stunner because the headline of the document that Eastman wrote was uh, there are seven states who have alternative electors. Now it turns out that Lindsey Graham and Mike Lee, two big Trump supporters, investigated this, had people on their staffs investigated it and obsessively and came up with not just 
a little bit of zero evidence. And we, we always get in this thing, well, it's false what he said. I, I think that's the wrong way to frame it. I think it should be framed as there is zero evidence that we know to support the idea that there were, or, I mean, but whatever happened here, uh, uh, Eastman, uh, a supposed constitutional scholar, came up with this thing, and that, so, if they're on its face, uh, it is, what, what they were doing was a violation of Section 371 of the Criminal Code, no ambiguity, it is a crime, to repeat, to subvert the legitimate function of government. It's not that this was done covertly. This has been done <laughs> yeah. What? It's absolutely been on, in and, front of our and eyes. And so I think, you know, there's the political and legal process of the Justice Department. They're going to do whatever they are going to do. I tend to think they're not going to indict Trump. I think, no, I think many of, maybe all these cases lead nowhere. And if the Justice Department, the federal government, indicts Trump, they solidify Trump as the 2024 Republican candidate for president. If, even if he just comes uh, out from Mar-a-Lago once a month, he is he, the claim of this is the deep state, this is the corruption, and uh, you spend enough time talking to these people, you all know, all of you, that people just believe they don't necessarily think the election was stolen, but they like Trump. Let me, let me just try and clarify the legal issues here um, a bit. <laughs> um, on January, 1, uh, January 6, 2005, 31 Democrats voted to block the certification of Ohio's electoral votes for George W. Bush, which, an objection which if it had been upheld, would have flipped the election from Bush to John Kerry. Um, so can we agree that it's not a crime to oppose the certification of the electoral count, Carol? Yes, but we cannot agree that things you intentionally do to defraud the American people, to use the levers of power, to intentionally, while you know it is a farce, claim it publicly as an excuse and justification for your actions. But that's a, but that but that's a conspiracy case, and that is what's happened. So I want to just second what Bob said about the criminal statute he cited, it's important. But prosecutors have a much easier way to get at this, which is conspiracy. It's the grab bag, because this was a fraud perpetrated on the American people, not just in the instance of trying to pressure Pence. How about contacting the Secretary of Homeland Security, asking him if we could declare martial law to seize some voting machines? How about uh, insisting that Jeffrey, Ro Jeffrey Clark replace the acting attorney general so they could reject the votes in Georgia and declare through the Justice Department that that election in a swing state was down. 
the, so, the, so the key piece is Trump knew what was true, or at least he was warned what was true. That's the question I wanted to because you have to, you still would have to prove corrupt intent on Trump's part. I mean, part, well, how you? much more do you need that Bill Barr told him there is no well, well, I mean, well, Bill Barr told him there's no fraud, as did the White House counsel told him there's no fraud, as did the but Department of Homeland Security, Security Council. I'm going to investigate yeah. it right. anyway, just to see, and I'll appoint uh, Durham to look right. at this. The, the prosecutor in Connecticut. So, uh, you know, one of the classics, I think we all find this with Bill Barr, he magnificently uh, rides both horses at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he, he was criticizing Trump as much as anyone to his face, which, and at the same time, he liked some of the policies, he liked the Republican line, and so he was with on that, but that again, I'm I'm sorry, uh, and I'll stop on this. We're going to debate the law when the issue really is our survival, and if we don't think survival is an issue, spend the time researching and reporting on nuclear weapons and. Well, you're talking about you're talking about literal physical survival when you talk about nuclear weapons, but there also is the survival of the republic and the rule of law. And so, I want to bring uh, George into this, uh, and uh, and on this point of proving criminal intent, I mean that's not easy to do, right? I mean, how strong a case do you think it would be in the context of this uh, this uh, pressure campaign against campaign uh, against Pence, this uh, effort? Uh, to um, uh, to have him subvert and overthrow the election in in, uh, in 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 the Congress. Well, proving intent in a criminal case beyond a reasonable doubt is always hard, okay? and that's it's going to be hard in this case. Even though you know, in your heart of hearts, you know the intent was there. But let's let's just I want to take a few steps back because there's a lot to respond to the last several exchanges. One is Bob is absolutely right. We you know we we judge whether things are better or worse too much by whether or not there is a criminal indictment at the end of the road. Absolutely true. What, what we should, one of the things we really have forgotten um, in the wake of this of January 6th is uh, the, the evidence of Donald Trump being completely deranged and unfit for office, which was manifested in I alone can fix it. And then what was the title? Peril. Peril. Right? I mean, that was the point. Of the, that, that's the essential main point of these two books. The guy was nuts. But, but okay? weren't there... Okay, finger, but, listen, George, but listen, weren't listen. there people saying that before but, he got but, elected? But here, <laughs> I think, I mean, let, let's... Uh, Carol and Phil and their book came first. And I, of course, read it and have studied it. And then Costa and I did our work and so forth. And what is so interesting about it is the overlap and the, I mean, there are parts you have that we didn't, we have parts you don't have, and so forth, but it is a portrait of the same presidency and the elevation of risk for the country, I mean, beyond, you know, not just the law or just politics or what. So uh, I think, you know, it's going back to your days when 
I hired you at the Washington Post. Do you want to be reminded? A little known fact, yes. <laughs> I said little known fact, but L little, but true. Now yes. known. <laughs> yes. uh, we can finally, uh, and uh, I mean, you don't like it, but people would say, oh, you got to hire Isikoff. He's a junkyard dog. <laughs> that is. <laughs> and, uh, that was your yeah. phrase, Bob. <laughs> no, no, no. It was a yeah. nice summation of yeah. your style. Yeah. And uh, it, uh, it's, it's true. It's true. Yeah. And that's what we need more aggressive reporting and looking at things and explaining. But the overlap is absolutely critical. And as Costa and I dug into this, uh, we had a national security crisis in this country. Multiple that, times. Yeah, multiple times. Just mm -hmm. hidden. My God, the Chinese thought we were going to attack them before the 2020 election. And General Milley and people in the Pentagon uh, were not just disturbed, were apoplectic about it. And apoplectic about Trump and his mental state to the point that Milley was telling Nancy Pelosi, don't worry, uh, everything's going to be fine. And uh, don't, you know, she would say, well, you know, these, Trump's crazy. They could set off nuclear weapons. Oh, don't worry. And then he gets off the phone call and realizes she has a point and calls in, uh, looked at this in detail, the watch officers in the National Military Command Center of the Pentagon who 24-7 monitor what's going on in the world and authorities that may come for military action or the use of nuclear weapons. And Milley's so worried, he, uh, he calls them in and says, we have a procedure here where I'm, as chairman, supposed to be involved. I want to make sure that you will observe that procedure. And he goes around the room. Got it? Yes, sir. Got it? Got it? Do you understand? I will be called and included. I got to interrupt you, Bob. So what's the consequence for that? What are we supposed to do about that as a country to protect us? Can I, can I throw it up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th this is the point I wanted to get to, which is, you know, it, it's less important that Donald Trump um, be prosecuted than it is that, that we should find, we should reform the, the operation of the 25th Amendment, Section 4. Because Section 4 of the 25th Amendment permits Congress to designate a body other than the cabinet to set it all in motion. And we, ha I mean, the fact of the matter is we, we, we when you have a, a guy who's deranged in this way, the way that Trump is, you, you know, having the cabinet, which is beholden to him, start the ball rolling on determining that he is mentally unfit for office does not work. And the mechanism has changed. Um, and that is like, and that, if that's the point that I take away from, actually it was one of the main points I take away from both of these books is, we got to get that fixed. What would you propose, just taking it? I, 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 well, I, you know, I mean, Nancy Pelosi, maybe more for show than anything else, in 2019 proposed um, some kind of a, I don't know, committee or somebody to look at the question of what legislation pursuant to Section 4 of the 25th Amendment could be adopted. I, I think we, we need 
singular focus on that. Um, and I think it ought to be a, a one of the focuses of the January 6th committee, which if you actually look at some of the document requests they make, there's all, there are document requests that they say, you know, all documents relating to discussions about the 25th Amendment and whether in the mental state of the president, that's all in there on, on purpose. And that's one of the things that I think the January 6th committee, if it does nothing else, um, needs to say something about. The 25th Amendment, as written now, requires the consent of the vice president in, to trigger yes. removal of the president. And in this particular administration, until and, the very last couple of weeks, there was zero it, chance it, of getting vice president. Isn't there also aboard. another failsafe, which is five members of the cabinet? You, no? you still need the vice president. You need the vice president and a majority, majority of the cabinet. Yeah. And there's a but this, initial uh, question of who's in the cabinet when you have all these, you know, when you have a system. We don't have a system. Sorry, but we do not have a system that is sufficient and adequate to control nuclear weapons. Anyone who knows about this, studies it, uh, former secretaries of defense have been quite clear that the president determined can, whatever procedures they have and so forth can start a nuclear war. And think about that authority, and do we really want a system where the president can do this in a practical sense? Something that's got to be thought about in work. Yeah, I mean, we're depending, we're depending on, you know, people in uniform to basically say, if I push this button, it's going to be a war crime. And to basically disobey orders from the president of the United States. I mean, that's, that's what we're relying on. And Milley actually also did something else which we reported in our book because he was worried about an order that would be unethical and dangerous to national security. He can reject an order from the president that's that's illegal, but he can't reject one that's nuts. And so he created a whole he created no so he created a whole system which doesn't exist, which was he had a special meeting with all of his uh, Joint Chiefs, Air Force, Army, Navy, Marine, and said, you guys, we're each going to throw our bodies in front of a dangerous national security decision, including a nuclear one, and the way we will do it is serially resign. Demand to, be, to give our best military advice, have our hearing and audience with the president, and then we'll resign and slow roll that decision. It's the cane mutiny with plutonium. I mean, that's what it is. <laughs> yes, right. Rather than strawberry. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Where's my plutonium? Okay. Yeah. But it's not, it's a huge problem not solved and is ticking away out there. Absolutely. And uh, Millie had to, quite correct, to talk to the generals, the Joint Chiefs, and make sure, you know, what we will do, but a mass resignation of the Joint Chiefs doesn't solve the problem. Well, because yeah. No, because it's all set. If once they resign, this we've learned this uh, throughout many decades of history on this, when somebody uh, resigns as a matter of conscience or practical necessity, somebody else moves up. Somebody else moves up automatically. And 
they generally can find somebody. Plus, he had Cash Patel as chief of staff at the Pentagon at that point. He probably would have taken the role himself. Well, I, mean, uh, I think, I think legally they could defy the order yeah. if it was nuts, if, it's a, if it involves nuclear yeah. weapons. Because if you use nuclear weapons without justification, and the justification has to be very particular and specific because of the nature of the, of the weaponry, it, that's a war crime. And war crimes are prohibited by not just international law, but the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And the President of the United States is charged with faithfully executing the law if he issues an order that's completely not saying, you know... Wait, yeah, but who decides that? Well, I, I, I it, mean, it's a problem, nuts, right. It's got, it's nuts going to be is not in it's the going, law It's going to be individual... It's, we're going to draw in individual way, officers, okay, I'm which just, is scary. I'm, I'm, I'm going to bet. There are more worrisome things here. That's the point I'm trying to make. I agree. Carol, I want to ask you about something that was in your book, um, which is on the day of January 6th when the um, rioters were chanting, Hang Mike Pence. The Secret Service told Pence he needed to get in a car and get out of the Capitol. Um, and he said, famously said, I'm not getting in that car. And at the time, when I read it, and a lot of people read it, it seemed like um, the Secret Service was trying to protect Pence, and Pence was saying, no, I've got a constitutional duty here, and I'm going to fulfill it. Jamie Raskin, congressman from Maryland, member of the January 6th committee, recently made some comments. Who was supposed to be here today? We invited him, but unfortunately they're having votes on the floor of the House, so he had to beg oh, off. Oh, excuses. <laughs> excuses. <laughs> it's clearly where he should have been, right? All right. Um, in a recent talk at Georgetown, Raskin said that um, they had, the committee had gotten evidence that would, quote, blow the roof off the House. And to explain that, he said he called Pence's comments about not getting in the car, quote, the sixth most chilling words of this entire thing I've ever seen so far. He then elaborated on MSNBC saying that he found the words chilling, quote, because they were trying to remove him from the situation. And he seems to be saying that the Secret Service was somehow in on the attempted coup. You have written extensively about the Secret Service, including a book about the Secret Service, which is probably on sale here. What zero, do, zero fail. What, <laughs> what do you make of Raskin's comments? <clears throat> okay, so a couple of things. One, um, in our book, I would just like to give you guys a little bit of context about why we thought it was so important to include this scene. Pence has been ordered essentially by the detail leader to leave his Senate hideaway. He's refused twice when the Secret Service comes to him and says, we got to get the heck out of here. Remember, outside the hideaway windows are the nooses that say, you know, hang Mike Pence, and the rioters are all around the building. They've been directed a different way, but they're, they're close. Pence refuses to leave. At this point, he's outraged. He is saying, I'm going to stay here until I certify this vote. And Tim Goebbels says, sorry, third time, we're out of here. It's not safe. They go to the basement, um, and Tim says to him, you need to get in the car. Tim's instruction to him is because the limo is bulletproof. It has a, a whole host of other security, a suite of security powers. His goal is to get him in the car, another secure location. And as we said in the book, Penn says, Tim, I trust you. 
but you're not driving the car, and I know they're going to drive me out of here, and I am staying. I'm going to do this work. I'm not getting in that car. Yeah, and I think he was absolutely right. I think he I was. I think that because, I mean, Except no one, you are the authority on this. The Secret Service has one objective, protect. Yes. Mike Pence in this case. So if I, 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 I mean, I don't know how to shoot a gun, but if I were Pence's detail leader, based on what I know, I would have tried to get him out of the Capitol if I could safely exit. The building was fairly surrounded, including the basement exit driveway. So it would have been hard to get him out. But if I were the detail leader, I also, for security reasons, would have wanted him out of there. There's a piece, I'm sorry, this is a long story. The other context is, we included in the book, that at this time, Pence and his aides, Mark Short, are in communications with Keith Kellogg, National Security Advisor to Mike Pence. He's in conversation with essentially the leader of the Secret Service at that time, Tony Arnato. He's a Secret Service agent who outranks everybody. And he, Kellogg, is telling Pence's people in the Capitol, hey, they're considering flying him to Alaska. So there is suspicion on Pence's team about what the motive is. is was this, there, was is Renato this, also a political appointee? He was. Which is very unusual. Highly unusual. At that moment, and here's why it's so important of Kellogg's conversation with Ornato, Tony Ornato being the deputy White House chief of staff, but also a Secret Service agent, and Kellogg being Pence's aide. The reason that conversation is important is Ornato is essentially the leader of the Secret Service. He outranks the director at this point, and he is a huge, ardent enabler of President Trump. And so if we don't know what conversations Ornato and Trump had, but Pence's people were suspicious about whether this was a security move or a get the Pence out of the house. Well, when move. you hear Raskin saying what he said, does that suggest to you he's got some evidence I, that Ornato was in on it to... in? and was trying to remove Pence for the purpose of delaying the certification? That, I think there are a lot of possible things that Raskin had, and it did intrigue me what he said. I mean, I don't like to speculate, but the first thing that came to mind is they've interviewed somebody with Pence who said, Pence told me, I'm not getting in that damn car because I know what Donald Trump is doing. I mean, you don't know. The second thing that could have been is they've interviewed Ornato, and he said, you know, I was instructed that we should get Pence out of there. We just don't know. I think Raskin could have something, but I want to emphasize something. His comments when he said, blow the roof off the house, it's much bigger than that Pence moment. It's about a larger drama information that hasn't become public yet that I think is going to be about Republican lawmakers and their role, along with others around Trump, uh, to prevent this over and over again, including Marjorie Taylor Greene, on January 17th, wanting to declare martial law three days before the inauguration. That is a, a stunner to me. Yes, but I, I mean, that what Marjorie Taylor Greene, first of all, in her text messages, uh, misspells Marshall. Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> it was the Marshall plan. It was, and then it was said, akin to when she suggested Nancy Pelosi's gazpacho police would be spying on members of Congress. But, but, right. but more important, after saying martial law as in martial plan, she, she said quite convincingly, I think, well, I really don't know about this. So it, it is a proposal. Oh, but, 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 but I disagree with one reason. The text says... I have just come from an 
only members meeting and we are all we are we are many of us are saying we should declare martial law okay but who are those people and what was said and so well let so me, maybe yeah. there is somebody who knows what real martial law is. <laughs> well let me follow up on uh, on your point about um, uh, on Carol's point about members of Congress uh, being involved. Um, and uh, a name that just appeared in the papers recently, you probably knew about her, but uh, many people didn't, Cassidy Hutchison, um, who was a former aide uh, to Mark Meadows, and she told the uh, January 6th committee that she recalled at least 11 members of Congress who were involved in discussions with the White House, with White House officials, about overturning the election, including plans to pressure uh, Pence to throw out electoral votes from states won by Biden. Um, now, you know, Mike and I have talked for a long time about who is the John Dean, you know, of this scandal going to be. Is there going to be some uh, witness who will come forward um, who will really have bombshells? That strikes me as a bombshell. We don't know all the details, but what do you do and what does the Justice Department do about 11 members of Congress who are potentially uh, part of this uh, Conspiracy. I don't know that the select committee is going to actually subpoena them because that is fraught to subpoena their own colleagues. Do you think they'll be? Oh, let me put this to you, George. Do you think they'll be, uh, or should be, criminally investigated? These members of Congress. Yes, I think I think they should be part of a broader investigation into everything that happened at the White House. And I think everybody who had communications with Mark Meadows, Mark Meadows. Um, Trump, maybe not. Maybe Meadows, Meadows is probably a target. Would probably be a target. Maybe not him. But other, all these people should be hauled before a grand jury, right? And 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 because it's absolutely correct that these statutes, the one that Bob mentioned, three seventy one, conspiracy to defraud the United States, and a similar statute, somewhat similar in effect, statute twelve fifteen C, which talks about obstruction of official proceedings, of which you know a congressional proceeding is one, and I would think the counting of electoral votes would be the ultimate um, official proceeding. You know, you cannot, in the case of 371, you cannot use fraudulent or deceptive means to interfere with the lawful function of government. The Supreme Court 100 years ago said... Written by Chief Justice Taft, Taft right? In a case, in, yeah, in yeah. A case involving, get this, there were these people who were trying to interfere with the draft in World War I, and so they handed out these leaflets that apparently contain false information about people's obligations to register or how you can register or something like that. And these they were prosecuted. It didn't involve a nickel of, of money. It involved deceiving people into not registering for the draft. Okay, if that's illegal, then the counting of electoral votes in China to obstruct the counting of electoral votes is illegal. If the President of the United States would go to jail under 371 if he stole a million dollars, even a billionaire did that, and you could show he wrote himself a check. Um, caused the Secretary of Treasury to write him a check or a billion dollars, which he wouldn't miss. He'd go to jail under 371. Okay, George, so, so if, this, to, yeah. if this is a conspiracy case, as Carol suggested, can you indict Donald Trump and not indict his co-conspirators, 11 members of Congress, Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, and God knows no, who you, else? You're going to indict a bunch of people. A lot of people. A lot of people. And some of them, though, you need to flip and use them as witnesses. But I think it's unpromising 
And to go to your original question, it's not very promising to realize that they haven't even begun the wheels right. of subpoenaing those lawmakers. It takes a while. You're going, to, you're going to go to the appellate court. You're going to go to the Supreme Court. It's going to take a little while to, to wrestle through the speech or debate clause because they can claim, lawmakers, forgive me, can claim they have immunity, special immunity, because everything they said and did was in the furtherance of their actual job. Which is like right. Jamie Raskin and all would not go to jail for what happened in 2016. But, 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 but what do you right, because he opposed the There's a lot of, you know, yes. it wasn't far, But right. what do you all make of uh, the... Why isn't the DOJ doing Right, I mean, you know, we, we've all covered um, high-profile grand jury investigations. When they're this high-profile, you learn about it, you know, maybe not from the Justice Department, but witnesses uh, talk, their lawyers talk, you learn about it. If uh, if if people in Trump's inner circle were going before the grand jury, we would know about it. Yeah, we would hear witch hunt. Witch hunt. We would hear. What do you make of that? Um, could be going through their phone records and through a filter team right now. Like, I know, I know. But <laughs> <laughs> well, let uh, let everyone know what you know. <laughs> Sorry, they could be going. What's, I mean, try to step back. What's going on here? And uh, even though Biden has been quoted, I think accurately in the New York Times saying he'd like to see. Trump prosecuted, uh, boy, I think that is a giant step, plays, and, and it, it takes you your eye off what this is all about. And this is all about the, I mean, the legitimate functioning of the presidency. But isn't that a political decision, Bob? Isn't that a Maybe it is. Maybe it is. And maybe it should be. And that's why I, I say we've got to get a lot of reality and not get into this these legal tunnels. I How mean, do you establish accountability? I mean, getting the information out there, writing books, having congressional hearings, that's all important. Is that enough? Maybe it is. But then let the voters decide. Remember, Trump in 2020 lost, and not by 7 million votes, by 45,000 votes in Arizona, Wisconsin, and Georgia. That close could have gone uh, the other way, but he lost. And I remember in one of the interviews I did with him uh, leading up to the 2020 election in the Oval Office, and I'm thinking about, you know, I want to ask him about Barbara Tuckman, the historian, and her analysis of the presidency. You, you think I, he had read Barbara Tuckman? <laughs> oh, I know he didn't. <laughs> and, and I knew, I, I was lucky enough to put my hand over my mouth and not mention historians, but try to step back and take, and, and so I said, you know, I think, and he's sitting behind the Resolute desk, and he has his props there his pictures of himself with Kim Jong-un, his top-secret exchange of letters, and then the judicial appointments, big formal judicial appointments. This, these are his props. So, and so I just asked, I said, you know, I think you won in 2016, which I think is a question we always have to return to, because you realize the old order was dying in not just the Republican Party, but the Democratic Party, which I think is true. And 
recorded. I wish I had a video one of these things there because he just jumped in his chair. Yes, that's it. I knew the old order in both parties was dying. Now, that's not a complete explanation, but it's part of the explanation. And as we try to excavate Trump and understand him, he did have some intuitive sense about where the soft spots were in the system, in the electorate, and so forth, and can't run away from the fact that he almost won in 2020. He, after everything, all about the, the virus deception, all about everything he did, uh, he, and then you can crank yourself back to 2016 and ask the question, did we in our business do enough to look at Trump in 2016 and tell people, uh, who he was, where he came from, sufficiently, and uh, I, I think we've, I know myself, I'd say I've failed mightily in looking at him, and I knew it was possible that he was going to win, and so that, those questions, none of these go away, and I think they fit in the kind of reporting we need to do now about him in 2024. What's, who is he? What's going on down there at mar Let's go to uh, Fulton County, Georgia, because I've always thought that was the most likely, the strongest potential case against Trump, because you had his voice on tape telling the Secretary of State of Georgia just find me 11,780 votes, one more than we need. Um, now, could uh, you really make a case? Well, that's that what that, that's what I want to talk about. Know, All right, it's very but, but, loose. Let's, let's, but, 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 yeah. I would add a couple more factoids to that. Yeah. But remember, he gets the phone number miraculously for a low-level Georgia election investigator and kind of gives her a pressure campaign as well. It's not that one call, although that one is shocking. And, and I mean, Giuliani is lying to the Georgia legislature, right. which is potentially right, right. part of the conspiracy. They're trying to get the DOJ to declare. Just tell us there's right. a rigged election. We'll, we'll and, get and, and he seems to threaten Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, telling him, you know, you could face criminal problems here if you don't do what I'm telling you to do. You don't want to do that, do you? So. George, you're the um, you're the lawyer here. Um, what do you make of the Fulton County case? It's I think it's a serious case. I think it's a simple case which has great appeal to a trial lawyer, um, and I think that's you know one of the the problem with the January sixth case is it is a multifaceted conspiracy. You got the fake electoral certificates. You got the incitement of the riot. You've got all there's so many different things going on. You know it's a complicated case to put on. Uh, even though at the, e at, the heart, at the end of the day, when you take a step back, it's a very simple case in the sense that he was, one, he was doing anything. He's throwing anything at the wall to make it stick to stop the proceedings. But January, the, 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 the Fulton County case is very simple. It's all about, find me these votes. He's not saying, you know, and, and, and it, it, it is corrupt. The, the phone call is corrupt. And the context is, he had no, he, Raffensperger had also explained that there was no basis for fraud. 
and you know it, it's and he was had lost cases about it. so it, it's 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 attractiveness is its simplicity and uh, and I think that um, it just seems like Fannie Willis is actually is actually quite serious about it is anybody here at all concerned about the precedent of a of a state of a, of a well, she's not even. She's not even. A, uh, she's, she's a county district attorney. She's a yeah. county district Fulton attorney. County, yeah. Uh, hauling off and indicting a, a former president who uh, could well be the next president. Um, does that set a precedent that should concern people? Because there are a lot of ambitious uh, DAs around the country, um, and you know, and she's of course from a different party than he is, and just in terms of. You know, politicizing the justice system. Well, this is this is the part of the problem we have generally is no matter what happens, no matter what the evidence is, no matter who brings the case, no matter what the case is, you're going to get that rejoinder. And so the question is, do we want to live in a system where that kind of public rejoinder from the people that Bob is talking about who are not who are going to say this is this is this is this is a, a witch hunt or whatever it is. Um, no matter what the evidence is, or even if there's a tape, um, do we allow that to say that this person who is president for four years gets a permanent pass on anything he did before he was in office, anything he did while he was in office, anything he did that was in his official capacity or not? You're because you're setting back. a precedent by not doing it also. You're Correct. coming back. Guess what? You're with me on multiple choice answer D now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, I agreed with you. Yeah, okay. I agree with that. I got lots of you know, But, you know, on Georgia, I just have to add yeah, one more thing. Please. I don't think the, I think the Georgia case is simple. I agree with everything you've said. It's a nice straight trial, except it's not going anywhere fast. It's the slowest moving case yeah. I've ever she, seen. She announced this investigation in February of last year, and she's just can finally convened the grand jury for next well next month well, starting in May. Just, just to right. take a step back white collar criminal investigations take a long freaking time generally okay even even in even in, in whether it be Wall Street whether it be Enron whether it be you know po you know political bribery cases these things unless you you know unless you got the guy you know unless it's you have ab scam where you got the guys in the, in the room with with a box of money and it's on video. Um, these things take a long time to put together. And um, but I do think some of these people who should be, I think, ought to be hauled before a grand jury in the United States District Court for the District of Columbia should have been hauled last year um, there. But you know, I'm not the Attorney General. You could have been an assistant attorney general. Like, could have been. It was the best decision you chose not to. not to do. Right. Um, by the way, uh, we do have a microphone here. If anybody would like to ask uh, some questions, we have uh, some limited time uh, left. Um, so if anybody wants to um, uh, pose a question for our distinguished panel, come on up. Um, Bob, you um, became world famous for exposing the transgressions of Richard Nixon. How would you compare Nixon to Donald Trump? Good question. <laughs> Easier to describe the creation of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> you can do that first if you want. Yeah. <laughs> Might Two minutes. Passed, but yeah. I mean, we. I think we have to both in the legal context and uh, all of this. It was a different Republican Party in 
the early 70s when Nixon was under investigation. So different. Uh, I remember after Nixon resigned, Carl Bernstein and I went to go see Barry Goldwater, who Republican from Arizona, the conscience of the Republican Party. And uh, so what went down with Nixon's resignation? So Goldwater kept a daily diary, which he dictated to somebody on his staff. They said, let me, uh, you know, first he got out the whiskey, and then he said, all right, let's, I'm going to read you the daily diary from August 7th, 1974, the smoking gun tape had come out, and it was clear that Nixon was going to be impeached by the House. The question was the Senate. So Goldwater and the leaders of the Republican Party in the Senate and the House went to the White House. And Goldwater lays this out very graphically. They're sitting there, Nixon has no aides uh, there, and Hugh Scott, who's the Senate Republican leader, says, Mr. President, we, we've asked Barry to be our spokesperson. And uh, so Nixon kind of fumbles around. Well, what do you think, Barry? I know I'm going to be uh, impeached in the House. What about the Senate? And Goldwater, remarkable moment for the political system, for the legal system, for the constitutional system. Uh, said to the president, said, look, I did a count. And, uh, of course, in the Senate trial for uh, him to, for Nixon to be, well, he would need 34 votes, one-third, to stay in office. And Goldwater said, Mr. President, I counted, and uh, you don't have five votes among Republicans in the Senate. And then the killer line, and one of them is not mine. <laughs> and next day, Nixon announced he was resigning. And then on the 9th, he actually resigned and gave that re remarkable farewell address uh, with all of his grievances about his mother and his father. And, uh, and then he said, I mean, I just looked at the tape of this. And then he kind of turns and smiles, like kind of like called everyone here in the East Room, staff, friends, family. And he said, quote, always rem remember, others may hate you, but those who hate you don't win unless you hate them. And then you destroy yourself. Now think of that. He realized at that moment that the hating was the poison that destroyed his presidency. A little late. Yeah, a little late, but, but, that, but that's, you, that's an important but what point. What a lesson for not just politicians, for all of us, and hating isn't. Point. But not yeah. not an insight that Donald Trump yeah. to this day Correct. has it's ever um, cleaned. And not a conversation Kevin McCarthy ever had. <laughs> yes, that's right. right. But 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 Trump is like that. I mean, Trump is a hater. Interviewing him in Mar-a-Lago, and he had he got out uh, had Scavino get out uh, his laptop, and they had a video of Trump's speech 
at the uh, State of the Union, and they're just playing uh, hyped-up elevator music, and video goes to uh, Bernie Sanders, and he's sitting there in the audience, yeah, being Bernie, AOC, quite pleasant, Kamala Harris, of all, you know, just kind of, and each time, one of them, Trump is behind me. I thought he was going to bite me in the neck. And he said, see, hate. And then the next one would come, Kamala Harris, who was the most kind of, you know, I'm, she's a senator, not vice president at that point, and she's just as pleasant as can be. Hate. Don't you see that hate? And wow, the hate in politics and the inability to learn how destructive it is of you and your cause. So that sounds like the definition of projection. Um, we have a, we a question, question over here. here. Oh, there yeah. we go, yeah. I, I thought you were going to evaluate the workings of the January 6th committee, but uh, I can ask my question anyway. I have a nephew who's a Capitol policeman, and uh, he was injured on January the 6th. I've been amazed by the amount of amateur and online and internet investigators that are helping my niece find the law and order Republican who slung her kid. Mm. Uh, are you going to cover, is that, do you think that's gaining traction in a lot of these cases? And are, I, I haven't seen much coverage of it, but she's he, got hundreds of people who are giving her advice on this guy's sunglasses, for example. Well, first off, please pass along. Thank you for his service, and I'm really sorry what happened. Um, I would also, I would say that the video that has been provided and uploaded by literally thousands of people has been such a huge boon to the Department of Justice and, and the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C. They were slower to review it all because there was so much of it, but they had a lot of super sleuths helping them. Um, and you will see in the trials coming up that are mostly less about the trespassers, so to speak. To use the, testifying today. Yes, there's a, quite a few coming this week and next week. Um, on the question of the January 6th committee, um, they're now saying public hearings in June, report in the fall. Um, what are we expecting? I can give that a stab. Um, <laughs> I'm expecting what Bob Mueller didn't do, which is um, carefully, concisely, dramatically have a series of people who are at Donald Trump's shoulder and people who were um, in danger at the, on the day of January 6th narrating their first-person experience of what they heard the president and his team um, say and plot and then um, what actually happened on the day. I think it's going to be like um, must-watch TV. Uh, and as for the recommendations, I've heard a few that will be made. George is absolutely right. One of the recommendations, I don't know if you were just being smart, or you know, if you've got a good source, but you need to talk about later. But mm -hmm. your point um, <laughs> about the the Twenty Fifth Amendment, the the powers of the president. Well, I, think, I, think, I think Liz Cheney has actually kind of telegraphed that. Mm -hmm. I think the committee has telegraphed that a little bit, but it's gotten a little less focused than totally day to day bombshells. But, but you know, the, it's so painfully true in cases like this. It all depends on the outcome. 
if you know they do something and they indict Trump or they make, I, I think they can make a spectacular case. Uh, there's no question about that. But what's the outcome going to be? And the outcome may be that uh, Justice Department just says uh, we can't do this. The politics. I mean, what, if we had Joe Biden here on sodium pentothal and the truth serum, and you know, what do you really? Well, I just got to wish that Trump would go away. Because Mitch McConnell wants that too. <laughs> yes, right. Well, lots of lots of Republicans do quite privately and covertly, and this is this is part of the story. But I I'm not sure the outcome is going to be because you you have great hearings. Uh, the gold standard of hearings was the Senate Watergate Committee, uh, headed by. Senator Irvin, and the outcome was they found Alexander Butterfield who disclosed the secret taping system. No taping system, Nixon never, never would have been forced to resign. And so quality of evidence, is this the kind of evidence we, you know, we see it in our lives uh, on, tell, you know, well, we've got audio and Oh, only audio, no video. Well, well that's funny because you say, you say that, but you, that you say that because my law partner for basically three decades was a guy named Bernard Nussbaum, mm -hmm. who's who was on the uh, staff of the Rodino committee and hired some woman named, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and and then later became Hillary White Clinton. House counsel, and. Um, he always used to say to me, we used to bullshit about politics all the time in his office, and he said, Nixon should have burned the tapes. <laughs> if he had burned the tapes, he would have, he would have, he would have stayed in office. And, and, and Bernie wasn't saying that it was the moral or right thing to do, but as the practical thing, that's what, that's what brought Nixon down. But the, we, we don't, but, but just to, I, I have so many things that I'm thinking about as you guys talk. One is, we don't need tapes. It all is in front of us. It all happened literally in front of us. We don't need tapes. That's true. But the second thing, to go back to what Bob said about, well, you know, Biden would like this guy to go away. Merrick Garland said on the anniversary of January 6th, politics will not determine what we do. We will, we will start with the small cases. We will build and build and build. We will not let politics influence um, how we prosecute this case. And yet... I think we're all seeing that politics and political political sphincter tightening is actually very much influencing what's going on. Yes, I mean, there's you talk about you generally you can find out what's going on in a grand jury, and uh, our newspaper did a great story on how there's no movement that. The kind of usual son. I didn't get a subpoena. They didn't call me. They aren't doing this. If you have no investigation, what's the outcome? The outcome is uh, something that's very, very unclear, despite what the January 6th committee says. Well, on that somewhat murky note, um, I want to uh, thank I think our. Another, do we oh, do we have another question? Another couple yes. questions? Yeah. One more? Uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you all Quickly. for being here. Yeah. Um, Trump's not the first president to have done something that could or arguably should have been uh, indicted. You know, Nixon, of course, and Iran-Contra, and George W. Bush, and we could go on and on and on. Um, haven't we already tried not indicting a president? 
And can we really argue that we're better off because we didn't indict those cases? Isn't the problem that we haven't taken accountability action earlier? Thank you. George, why don't you take that one? Well, I, I think that um, I, I don't want to compare this circumstance to the prior circumstances. But yeah, I think, I think that we need, you know, we need some level of accountability here that it could involve criminal sanctions. And um, I, I think the danger here is that uh, we set, I mean, th this guy did the absolute worst thing that a president of the United States could possibly do. He attempted to end constitutional democracy in the United States. And if that's not something that should draw, have a, trigger a full-blown grand jury investigation at a minimum um, of the sort that we haven't seen happen, I don't know what should. Okay, how about a, if, if Biden preemptively pardoned Trump? <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, that's what Gerald Ford did. Right, right. And realized, uh, and his real, I spent a long time talking to Ford about this 25 years later, uh, saying, you know, uh, wow, uh, I needed to do what was in the national interest to get Nixon off the front. Everything was about Nixon. What about his tapes? What about this? What? It's exactly what we're seeing with Trump. Might be the right thing to do. Might be the right thing to do. I mean, just think of. But I'd like to see the plea agreement before. You don't need a plea agreement. Because the Supreme Court held in 1915, acceptance of a pardon is an acknowledgement of guilt. It's not going to energize the base. The big difference is that Nixon, at least as reflected in that East, those Eastern remarks and other things that he said had some remorse. He paid He paid the price of having to oh, resign. Oh, no, that's not remorse. Well, there was remorse. <laughs> that, he said, I'm, I'm, some of the things I did and said were wrong, he said, in that, in that same Oh, but day. I could and he said that there no and later. impeachable offense, and if the president does it, does it, it's legal. So I'm not... All right, he, he, he had more of a conscience than this guy does. All right. I mean, he did feel... So it's a low bar. It's a low bar. Uh, anyway, on that note, I want to thank our panelists for a really uh, incisive discussion.